It's the Stazapod. Uh, before we hop in today, just want to say rest in peace to Kentora uh, Miura, if I'm saying that right, the creator of Berserk. Um, Berserk is probably uh, one of the most influential manga ever, uh, particularly to me and my storytelling and the legacy of what he's done with Berserk crept its way into things like Dark Souls, uh, Bloodborne, all this great stuff that's been in my orbit forever. And uh, very sad, very young guy, 54, appears a heart condition took him out. But uh, if there's any silver lining here, um, you know, I think that he's left behind a fantastic body of work and we should all aspire to have some kind of immortality through the stories we tell and the characters we create. And I think he really will be appreciated uh, eternally because his work is just that incredible. Um, Another sort of very minor, very uh, sort of superficial uh, silver lining is that now I I feel like I can get back to reading Berserk because there is, um, you know, for the time being, a finite sort of uh, end to his run on the story. I was, uh, you know, a diligent reader of it up until I think around the 30s, uh, and then it just became so much to keep track of, and uh, I'm now going to sort of go back and uh, pick up where I left off and have this sort of time to do it and not feel like there's another, you know, uh, sort of book coming down the pipeline to... uh, you know, demand my attention. Um, but very sad, uh, tremendously talented guy. If you haven't read Berserk, I definitely recommend you do that. There are some really good collections, uh, hardcover collections of um, the sort of early uh, issues that you can get. Um, I also, personally, I, I do not recommend the animated uh, adaptations. Um, I just feel like they've all sort of fallen flat. The original 2D uh, adaptation is pretty decent, uh, and then the subsequent sort of 3D adaptations, I think, are pretty lacking in quality. So if you've ever been curious about Berserk, um, a fantastic time to sort of uh, go and check out the work of the great late artist. Kicking off with Charlie Pope, any possibility of getting a physical version of all the stories so far parts? Um, I've gotten this request before, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. And the biggest reason why is I'm not uh, content with the quality level of everything that's on the story so far. I much prefer to publish in print copy artwork that is not my own. Um, you know, I prefer to have people like Gavin Mackey or or Papa or any of the people I work with, uh, you know, interpret my stories with their artwork. And then that is the printed material I want going out there because quite frankly, it's much better than, than my work. Um, another sort of angle to this is the story so far pieces are just meant to bridge gaps and give us some connective tissue. They're not necessarily for consumption of the larger world or 
a marketplace where people are not sort of fans and, and already following along. Um, a lot of the writing and the artwork that I've done in the story so far uh, was done within a single day as a means to sort of give some context to the product that was launched. So um, it's not sort of the the best facing for Knights of the Slice, but um, I do know it is an important piece of this and, um, you know, the undertaking to put together the story so far was quite an ordeal. It, it didn't actually exist for most of the life of Knights of the Slice. Uh, I know a lot of people are sort of joining us later in the brand's life, um, but the story so far was not a, there was no cohesive place to get every piece of narrative. Uh, there was, of course, the great wiki that is fan run and still uh, maintained quite well, but it is a relatively new addition to all this. And, um, you know, for me, it's just not ready for prime time. I don't think there's going to be a printed version. Um, but uh, I hope people enjoy it. We got two similar questions, so I'm going to read them together. First from Gabriel Tovar. Have I picked up any cool toys recently? Anything out there catch my eye? Uh, always a fair question to ask. And then Retro Zone Neon. Looking at current action figure lines on shelves now, what are some standouts that you think are more interesting than the rest and why? Uh, so, in terms of contemporary toys that are in the action figure aisle, there's not a whole lot that's exciting to me. And um, that's just me, you know. I, I understand there's a lot to be excited about for other people. For me, I'm very jaded with that aisle at this point in my life and my career, largely because there's nothing new there, right? These are retreads of brands that have been done a million times over by different companies. That doesn't mean there's not stuff worth worth buying, doesn't mean you shouldn't find some joy there, doesn't mean there aren't things I pick up, but generally it all kind of falls really flat uh, in specifically the sort of adult action figure niche. Uh, a line that I've been picking up when I find it that I think is pretty interesting is uh, Marvel Mech Strike from Hasbro. These are designed to be a value-based purchase uh, for kids that would have been like me, that, you know, only had a couple bucks, couldn't afford uh, big play sets and things like that. You know, this is really a more economical-based offering. Uh, they're kind of six-inch figures, but less articulation than Marvel Legends, less detail, less paint apps. And I think generally, I'm much more interested and inspired by toy lines that are created for kids and for a value-based proposition than I am for things that are made for adult collectors and a more high-end, uh, you know, um, approach. If you stack one of the Mech Strike figures, which, um, boy, I don't know how much they cost. I want to say probably like between $7.99 and uh, $9.99. If you stack that next to a Marvel Legend, which are now... I've seen them going for $25 at retail. You know, it's getting pretty steep. Um, while granted, the Marvel Legends are really well-crafted and, and you know, the state-of-the-art action figure, uh, I much prefer the value proposition because I think, uh, I don't know, there's just something more toyetic about it. Uh, I like the uh, sturdiness of these compared to something like a Marvel Legends. And look, I, I, I'm like 
you know, finding things to nitpick here. It, it, it is kind of a golden age for adult collectors. You have tons of options. Uh, but for me, I think I tend to gravitate more towards what are things that actually kids might be interested in, not just what appeals to me. A final note on the Mech Strike line. Um, there's a Thanos that I think is really a very interesting treatment for the character. It has a, you know, a sort of off-model color scheme that I really like. It's a big, hefty figure. Uh, really something worth checking out. The, the mechs, ironically, in the Mech Strike line are shit. They're just like hollow plastic. And, um, you know, I could see being excited about it as a kid, but it's a pretty uh, softball effort, you know, as an adult admiring it but the figures themselves i think are are pretty damn cool and it is kind of hard to iterate on marvel at this point because obviously you know there's been hundreds and hundreds of figures of every character at this point regarding things i've picked up um i did pick up uh lady j and flint from gi joe classifieds i gotta tell you this line is just not doing it for me i, I don't know what it is um, if you had ever told me that I would be turned off by a 6-inch G.I. Joe line, I would have thought you were absolutely crazy. But for whatever reason, this line is not firing all my cylinders, and that I have a hard time sort of articulating why that is. Um, it's just, it's underwhelming to me, and I, I can't quite put my finger on it. But what I think might be a more interesting approach would be if somebody like a Super 7 were to do a Sunbow collection that is directly sort of based on and referencing say the cartoon or say the Marvel comics. Um, I think design-wise there's something sort of generic futuristic military about this iteration of the characters that it just doesn't speak to me. I don't know. You guys tell me if you're having a different experience with the line. I did also receive Zartan in the mail. I haven't opened him yet. Uh, I understand that's a really quality figure, so I'm hoping my mind has changed, but um, I would say the classified line has failed to really excite me uh, very much at all. Finally, I have, uh, through some cosmic stroke of luck, come across a couple grails in the past week, and um, there are not a lot of grails out there for me to find. So it's pretty significant, and I'm going to do a separate post on Patreon about these grails and share some photos. So um, that's also something that's been picked up recently. Mike Johnson, how far along are the Design of Knights from the Crow and Sen campaign, and how soon do I think until we all get to see them? Uh, so for those who are new or missed the campaign, there were four slots available in the campaign for what I called the Design of Night, and that meant that you guys got to pay for a tier where you designed a colorway of these upcoming characters. And it was extremely popular. I think we sold them, sold those slots out almost immediately. And it's been a very fun process working with those four creators to uh, figure out how to best approach their designs. At this point, um, their designs are done and locked and sent to the factory. I have quotations on them. So what we're doing status-wise is sort of waiting for the production of the steel tool, the mold that makes the figures, to be completed. Uh, in the case of Sen, he has a little bit of a head start. His tooling is relatively done. There is some troubleshooting going on uh, to make some of the fits better. And then I am eagerly awaiting the first test shot from the 
Chromega tool. After both tooling pieces are set, they will move on to the paint deco and building the spray mask. This takes a little bit of time, not quite as long as tooling takes, but uh, long story short, we're still on target to have Sen debut in early summer and likely um, Crow at the end of summer with a little luck. Now there's any number of variables that can pop up until then, but uh, so far we're on track to meet that. There will be two separate fulfillments. So if you ordered only one figure or only send five, uh, that will go out sometime in the early summer. And then uh, Crow and any sort of stragglers will be fulfilled towards the end of the summer. Um, this also plays a little bit into what the next campaign could be, and somebody asked a question about that, so I'll, uh, I'll answer that when that comes up. But so far, so good. Hopefully we don't hit any bumps in the road, and uh, by the fall, you should have both these figures in your hand. I'm nervous saying that, but hopefully. Next question, Kyle Thornton. I absolutely love the way the metallic purple plastic pooled and cooled in the stomach of the Air Thrasher to make it look like guts. Does this happen because the stomach end of the torso is at the bottom of the mold, allowing the PVC to cool into snaky ribbons? Uh, no, it has less to do with the sort of um, positioning of the pieces in the mold. It has more to do with the sort of additives, the sort of metallic additives, um, and then also the temperature at which the plastic, the molten plastic, is being sort of shot through the mold. Um, it's a really great effect. I'm always happy when we can achieve it. I think it's just one of those super interesting sort of uh, looking things. Lance Tomimoto, what are my favorite non-articulated figures of all time? Um, I think I've talked about it before, but it has to be my little roto-molded Alphonse Mucha um, in-action figure. <laughs> I picked this up uh, during one of my trips to Japan after seeing his wonderful exhibit in Ueno. Uh I've talked at great length about that experience. It was really uh, quite a stirring event. So I think that in terms of uh, sheer memory, that piece is just infused with all the emotions I was going through on that trip. And uh, that would be my pick. Justin Doak, uh, have there been any parts combinations that have surprised me with how well they work together? Whether intentional or not. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm continually surprised by different swaps and combinations you can do with these figures. Uh, it, it, in large part because I don't have a lot of time to do swaps and play around with these figures. So there's a lot of undiscovered uh, territory for me with uh, these figures, surprisingly. Um, I do always enjoy seeing everybody's custom builds and a lot of time that really inspires me because, um, you know, the, the present state of Knights of the Slice is that I am so busy making the line, I often don't have time to appreciate it until I start seeing your photos and, and you guys sort of get to, I get to live vicariously through your discovery of these things. So um, there's endless things that have surprised me. There's going to be a lot of surprising, uh, you know, pieces that work well together with Sen 5. Um, you know, I'm hands-on now with the test shots, and um, there's some really great cross-compatibility in ways that I didn't necessarily think were possible. 
and I think you guys are going to continue to discover additional swaps and uh, build on that. But um, Send 5, surprisingly uh, compatible with a lot of things. Matt Connolly, with the current chlorine shortage sweeping the U.S., how does this affect the opening of my pool, the return to subsidy, art imitating life, imitating art, take off my glasses and get in the pool? Um, we stockpile a lot of things around this bunker, so uh, I think we got enough chlorine to get us through. Um, this summer, a pool is scheduled to be open within a few days, and that's when the subsidy season really kicks off. Uh, Gavin has completed a postcard comic addressing the current state of affairs with Subsidy. Very excited to share that with you guys. And of course, there will be a sort of drop tied to it. So we're heading back to Subsidy in a very short time. Jeremy Price, I really like the idea of the three-part fundraising campaign you pitched in a recent Destazapod. Has there been any recent movement or decisions made on this topic or any related summer events? Um, well, I have a high-stakes meeting happening this weekend with some very talented people. Um, and I will know more after that meeting, so I don't want to say too much more than that. Um, in my mind, I'm not set on doing a fundraising campaign. I'm not set on if it's a three-part one. Uh, partially because I, you know, I'm still in Send and Crow world still figuring out the logistics of all that. It's kind of hard to take your mind off of that incoming fulfillment to plot out, you know, a very ambitious campaign. So um, I don't have news yet. I hope to have more after this uh, very important secret meeting. Gordon McKinnon Hall, what's the most ambitious custom action figure I've successfully completed? Looking at some of my old customs and recent customizing nights makes me think part of my earlier frustrations with customizing were from trying to use too complex a figure as a base and being overly ambitious? Uh, well, I think a couple things about this. This is a, this is a good question, good points. Um, ambitious and custom action figure, by me, don't really go together. I'm an extremely lazy customizer, so I'm always going to take the laziest route and just do things like simple head swaps and, you know, maybe trimming or repairing a, a accessory or two. I, I really don't spend a lot of time customizing. I don't have the attention span for it. Um, I would say maybe some of the very early Night of the Slice customs that I did, there was one using uh, one of my heads that Erwin sculpted, and you know he had a bunch of armor parts glued to him, and a really nice paint deco. I think that's probably about as ambitious as I've ever gotten um, with anything let alone Knights of the Slice. I, I do think you touched on something very interesting here, early frustrations with going too complex. And I think that that applies to almost all creativity, right? I think every artist uh, starts off with such grand ambitions that their ability to articulate the ideas in their head uh, often lag behind that. And it can be very frustrating, and you can actually quit doing art because you're not able to express what you see in your brain on the paper. Uh, so I, I do think that it is very important to try less complex things when it comes to any creative pursuit. And in fact, go the opposite direction. Try to be as basic and as uh, juvenile as possible with your pursuits. Try to be as sloppy and messy as possible and then see what's worth refining from there. I, I think that was a big lesson it took me many years to kind of figure out, to be able to 
to churn out artwork consistently meant uh, not being complex and not being ambitious at all with what I was doing. Chris Solis has a great question here. Uh, if it's been asked before, I apologize in advance, but I'm curious about your interest in music making. What sparked it between the toys, art, and now music? You have a potential multimedia type storing, storytelling outlet now. Uh, thank you, Chris. Um, so I've always been just a frustrated creator, right? I was a frustrated comic book creator that couldn't draw very well. And, uh, you know, obviously wasn't going to have a path in the comic book industry. Uh, for the same token, I was also a frustrated fan of music and sort of would-be musician, but with zero, zero talent um, or sense of timing or ba just any basic um, musicality I lacked. And uh, when I was a sort of teen in middle school, I bought leather pants and black lights and uh, a lot of glow-in-the-dark posters and I would, and a guitar, of course, which I couldn't play. And um, I would just sit in my room and sort of pretend to put on little concerts <laughs> uh, for myself and like lip sync to music and, and things like that. Um, and in many ways, my sort of basement karaoke uh, streams are exactly that. They're just me in my high school bedroom singing Nine Inch Nails. There, there's very little that has changed in that formula to, um, you know, present day me, uh, some 25 years later. There have been, um, other periods in my life when I really wanted to get into music and earnestly learn it. And of course I invested a lot of money in expensive gear. Um, I remember buying this audio interface that was like a thousand dollars and it was insane. Um, I think that was when I finally worked at Jazzwares and I had like a salary. Um, and of course, it was way overly complex of an item. Uh, I didn't know how to use it. I, I didn't understand any of the inputs or anything. And I ended up having to resell it um, and take a loss. So that was kind of um, my history with my aspirations to do anything musically. I would like buy expensive gear and I would realize I did not have any foundation in which to use or manipulate the gear. And then I'd sell it in frustration and years would go by without any um, sort of uh, spark for it. Kind of like what Gordon's talking about, right, in his previous question. Uh, then, you know, karaoke came into prominence when I moved to New York City because there were karaoke clubs and they had a wide variety of songs. And, you know, um, there was really in, in, you know, like around 2003... Uh, around that area, era, um, karaoke just sort of took a different shape. It was always kind of a novelty prior to that, but there seemed to be this wave of um, interest in it, and the songs were getting better, and the libraries and selections were becoming larger. And it, also, technology was much cheaper. You could sort of get karaoke subscriptions for your bar in a much more affordable fashion wireless microphones became accessible and, and cheaper. And so, you know, being in my early mid-20s and having, you know, three or four different karaoke clubs you could bring your friends to on any night of the week, it just became this, uh, you know, just this really fun thing to do in, in Manhattan. As I 
sort of made more success in my professional life, uh, the karaoke parties around Toy Fair became notorious. You know, striker parties usually always had a karaoke component to them or the after parties. So, um, you know, that became a, a very ingrained uh, sort of part of uh, the nightlife, let's say. Flash forward, I know it's a very long-winded story, but this is something I've been very into lately. Flash forward to uh, this past pandemic year. Um, I just, you know, like everybody else, I lost my mind and uh, had nothing to do. So I started just buying instruments and little, little devices, usually from Goodwill. And uh, just seeing you know, just experimenting, really, in the purest sense. I was able as an artist to sit down with a sketchbook and just lose all uh, ambition and complexity and just draw. And that was a major hurdle to overcome. And so I thought, why can't I approach music like that? Why can't I just sit down with a simple keyboard and just sketch? You know, I don't have to know notes and time signatures and things like that. I can just approach this the same way I would a sketchbook and see if I can glean any fulfillment. So anyway, got a little sidetracked there. Um, the pandemic year, obviously, I couldn't have people over to sing karaoke. So I kept building and adding things to my karaoke setup. I moved it to the basement where I could do it uh, all hours of the day without disturbing the other residents of this house. And... Um, the music, the original music of mine, came as a necessity to bridging the silence in between switching songs. You know, there is a sort of lull as you cue up your next song. So I needed just little tiny effects or little tiny ditties to kind of uh, sound okay as I'm live streaming, as I'm switching songs or switching gear or things like that. So uh, I slowly just started to collect little tiny pieces of instruments, the pocket operator being uh, one that, you know, Chris loves a lot and uh, I own as well. That's a really good sort of entryway, although it is, um, it can be terribly complex. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I think things started to take off in the original music direction as I got a keyboard, as I got a MIDI controller, and uh, just kind of got back to being a kid. And we had like this toy Casio when I was a kid and we would like press the demo button and pretend we were playing it masterfully. And I just kind of started to get back to that childlike frame of mind of just like, what is the, what is a hack to this? How can I sort of back end my way into writing a song or convincing people watching a stream that I know what I'm doing when I don't, or failing that, just be mildly entertaining. And um, that's sort of, you know, the impetus of this. It's just a very fun thing I do. I know I do it poorly. Um, you know, I know it is difficult to watch, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't matter. It, it is a sort of form of expression. It's, it's really not for anybody else. It's maybe, you know, to crack up people like Bobby Torres or, or Matt Dowdy. Uh, and if I could do that, I think it's very successful. Um, very long, very indulgent uh, answer. I just want to touch on one more thing. 
the potential for multimedia type storytelling. This is my sort of current goal, right? To get to one single song that uh, can be utilized for a future drop. That is um, definitely what I'm approaching. I want it to be a sort of full length song. I want to record it live and I want to make it available to you guys. So that's the sort of short term goal. Again, I don't know what I'm doing at all. I don't know, you know, I have no musical theory backing any of this up. Um, I don't know how to play piano. So it's, you know, it's a very sort of DIY uh, experiment. And um, I know it's excruciating for you guys. And uh, that's, uh, that's what the creative process is. Sean Houlihan, what is your favorite bootleg slash knockoff toy brand? I know there's a lot out there. This is very easy for me. It's Chapmay, 100%. I give special recognition to Leonard as well. They've really been around a long time and accomplished a lot. But Chapmay, uh, huge, huge fuel for what Knights of the Slice became, especially their ninja line. Um, also, like I, I would love for present-day Knights of the Slice to be considered a mashup between 90s Toy Biz and Chap May. And if I can siphon some of the uh, psychic energy of those two lines and merge them together, I consider this to be very successful. Moving along, John Emmett, how strict am I with the scale of items I designed for Knights of the Slice, meaning how close to 118th scale do I get? Um, I'm not a scale fanatic. I have sort of basic canon rules in my head. I consider a classic three and three quarter inch G.I. Joe to be, uh, you know, an adult male of about, let's say, five, seven, five, nine in height, with uh, four inches being about six feet tall and onward and onward. I've tried to scale my figures in accordance to that. So obviously, Hacker Man's a much taller, bigger character. Um, when it comes to accessories, I do not scale to 118th at all. If you've ever picked up figures and their weapons are extremely small in their hand, that's because they are actually accurate to what real-life proportions for weapons may be, but that looks like shit on a micro scale. So weapons and accessories should be oversized, in my opinion. Um, it's, you know, it's just a sort of, the way our eye reads it, I think uh, bigger weapons are much more satisfactory at a smaller scale. So, um, you know, I think it's good to know and understand what scales and measurements are, but then I kind of go and throw those things out. Sean Denny, since we're talking other toy lines, you can only have one toy line to get a reboot, Starcom or Mask, anything I'd update. I would definitely go Starcom 100%. I think Starcom is probably one of the best lines of the micro scale, um, you know, just kind of anything under three inches, I consider the micro scale. If I were sort of updating and rebooting the line, here's what I would do. I would make them uh, four inch figures, but they also include a classic retro figure in the, uh, what is that, um, two inches scale with magnetic feet and, uh, you know, the clear plastic visors and all that good stuff. That's the approach I would take to it. Um, might be a little difficult to do proper vehicles at a four inch scale, but, um, you know, 
I, I get to imagine this, so maybe it's not. Moving along, Daniel Hartzler. Am I correct in my understanding that Nebula and Nobody are caster creations, but that Saima herself is flesh and blood daughter of the Corriger? Um, I would say that uh, we know that Nebula and Nobody are creations of Corriger, for sure. Um, the circumstances of the conception of Saima are not yet known to us. Roy Simmons, uh, was there or will there be a device ninja released in that test shot blue? Was that blue used in other Knights of the Slice? Um, it has not been used or released in any night. And I got to tell you, I don't really like that shade of blue. So I, I, I think over a long enough time period, every figure will be released in every color under the sun. Uh, but that specific shade of blue, that kind of primary blue, um, I'm not a huge fan of, and I, I don't see an immediate uh, need for that. I do, however, read loud and clear everybody's request for more ninjas, and uh, I will take that into consideration. Moving along to Brett Lawson, uh, speak of the devil. Well, how about a Micros device ninja? Um, I, yeah, I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm uh, lukewarm on that idea. I, I haven't done any more Micros, and uh, I kind of wanted to retire... That color scheme, I think we put a lot of them out there. Also, the chest tampo print, I'm not exactly sure how that would fit into the torso of the uh, device ninja because it is sort of a cloth um, gi, more or less. So that one, uh, yeah, I'm kind of lukewarm on that. Gavin Raider asks, what's been happening on Pangea Island in your mind or in the fictional place? Um, that Those are both the same thing. So as we last left Pangea Island, uh, actually as we last left a big chunk of the story, uh, Malarkey Jack had invaded Subcity and was utilizing their vector gate to send a huge swarm of hackermen to uh, invade and take over Pangea Island. So uh, that is the sort of setup and the premise for Pangea Island. However, we're not going to get to that story right away. Uh, that story has to take place after the final chapter of Turbo Atoll. But um, I am happy to tell you that the next store drop, which is going to happen at the end of this month, will have a little tiny piece of Pangea Island for people. So um, I'm excited to get back to that location. I'm excited to get back to uh, Subcity, obviously. And uh, I want to wrap up those two story threads, and uh, it's going to be good. Moving along to Charles, do I keep one of every figure I produce? Um, I tried to for as long as I could. Uh, I don't believe I have one of everything I've made. Um, I know that there have been a couple instances very early on in Knights of the Slice where I was oversold on a certain style, and I sent customers uh, my own copies, whether it was a test shot or uh, sorry, a paint sample or, you know, actually a uh, production run figure. Um, there are a couple holes in my collection. I don't know what those are offhand. And actually, I had to stop displaying all the figures I made because I ran out of room, quite frankly. Um, I think Thomas Jonte has a comprehensive list of all the releases. And I know we're in excess of 100 different Knights of the Slice. Uh, so for me, at a certain point, I just said I, I, it's more work for me to sort of uh, 
keep this uh, display of everything I've made. And now what I try to do is just display uh, one of every figure style I've made. So when Sen 5's test shot came in, I put one Sen 5 test shot in the display. And um, I won't add any other Sens until Chromega. Uh, you know, it, I won't add any other figures until I'll get a Chromega test shot, etc. So, and, and even that, just displaying one style of figure is uh, quickly running out of room as well. So, uh, no, I do not have one of every figure I produce. Um, but uh, that's not important to me. What's important to me is that you guys uh, get what you want. Now, as a very special bonus, I have a conversation with my good old friend, Steve Vera. Steve is a uh, thrice-published author, and uh, we're going to talk about Dark Souls, his first experience playing it, which has happened very recently. Uh, now, the audio cuts out in a couple locations during this interview. I do apologize. Um, I have to revert back to this sort of uh, full-length uh, raw version of the audio because the edited version got corrupted, blah, 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 you know, all this, uh, all the uh, slings and arrows I must deal with constantly. So I do apologize. There are a couple bumpy parts with the audio in this interview, but uh, Steve's a great guy. I will post links to the books he's written. You guys should go read them. And uh, another, uh, this is sort of appropriate because, you know, the influence of uh, Berserk on Dark Souls is uh, abundantly clear in so many different ways. And uh, I think if, you know, you've never played Dark Souls and you've never read Berserk, you're missing out on an entire universe. And hopefully uh, this discussion might excite you into checking out both those things because I think they they go with each other really well. So uh, without further ado, enjoy. Steve. Hey. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Good, good. Right on. Okay. Uh, let me do a uh, quick intro, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Uh, welcome. It's the Stazapod. We got a very special guest today, Stephen. No, sorry. Steve Vera. Never <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> no better. Um, longtime friend and a uh, published author three times Steve, where can people check out your book before we hop into it? Um, well, you can go to any place um, where they sell digital books, so Amazon, um, iBooks, uh, BarnesandNobles.com, any place where you can get a digital book. You can get my books. And what are the books called? Give us the title. Well, the uh, it's a trilogy called The Last Chardin. Um, book one is uh, Drin, and uh, that one is uh, that's one that, that got it all started. And just because this is audio, why don't you spell Drin and Chardin just so sure, everybody sure. So correctly. book one is Drin, D-R-Y-N-N, and Chardin is S-H-A-R-D-Y-N, and they are, uh, think of them as deluxe Jedi, um, martial and magical warriors. Absolutely, and I, I think the, uh, the best sell on this is it's it's sort of uh, Tolkien meets Stephen King. That <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is. If if, if uh, Stephen King and Tolkien did lunch, um, 
Plus, sprinkled with a little bit of Dean Koontz. I think one of the first reviews I got um, was Reads Like Vintage Dean Koontz, which was a, a, a huge <laughs> compliment to me. Absolutely. Um, so folks will go check out the books, of course. But the reason you're here is because we found out you had never played any Soulsborne games, which includes Dark Souls, Demon Souls, and Bloodborne. True. And uh, so I promptly gifted you Dark Souls 3. <laughs> yes. And uh, I've been eagerly awaiting this conversation because I really I want to hear the experience of somebody who's so entrenched in, in fantasy but had yet to sort of experience the wonderful world of uh, – this, uh, Miyazaki and the Goldsborne universe. So um, I'm not even sure where to begin. How about initial impressions? You, you downloaded the game. I did. You fired it up. And fired walk it us up. through that. Fired it up. Now, I'm, I'm coming from a background where I spent several eternities playing Skyrim, and then I went to um, Witcher and um, Dragon Age. So this was a, a brand new uh, experience for me. That is a perfect word for it because right out of the cages, you don't get a lot of lore. You do, you're just kind of thrust in there. Uh, the graphics are seamless. I know uh, not all of them were, but I'm playing the third one. Graphics are seamless, and I'm using noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> and, when you, and when you play at night, uh, the sound effects, I, I'm going to go ahead with downright frightening because they, they, yes. will, they will startle you. And there, there were a couple of times um, that, I, that I literally jumped. Uh, first thing is this. For me, this is a warrior's um, type of game. This is much more advanced, trying to figure out how to move, how to repost, how to dodge and attack um, has been an adventure. And probably the most salient thing that I would say is it is unforgiving. If you make yes. a mistake, <laughs> you go back. The only good thing about that is, is after you know the 27th time you've gone through the, uh, the first array of creatures you look like a wizard because you just already know what they're going to do so right out of the cage this has to be um seamless graphics are awesome but it is hard yes yeah it does have a reputation for being you know one of the hardest games available um yeah i think you know that's that's a pretty accurate uh read on this there's this funny um somebody did a web comic where it's link from zelda and he's dropped into the Dark Souls world. And he sees his, his first enemy. And he's like, oh, a skeleton. This will be easy. And then he just instantly gets killed. Yeah, and that is that 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 is hilarious. And and I have to say, I am this is the type of game that I love. Because I'm the type of person that gets hit. I want to do it again. I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And um, getting good has been fun as well. It, it, it's an, um, <laughs> I want to see that that meme of a link getting dropped in. Because there that is no there is no joke. And what, what was really interesting is usually you have to wait a little while to meet the first boss. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I went into this arena after I'm feeling kind of good about myself. It's like, all right, I got through these guys. I'm going in and there's this big old knight and graphics were awesome. He's, he's messing me up and I'm starting to feel good about myself and about maybe about halfway down. And once you start knocking this, he transforms into something truly frightening. And uh, yeah, that that was that happened about two in the morning, and that that sent me uh, you know a couple inches vertical off my couch. Yeah. So so this is the Gundir fight, um, which I I could imagine some people may think they're picking up an item, right? Because it's a sort of statue. Yes. Of a knight. Yes. And you remove a a 
sword from him. That's right. And, and you're probably thinking like, oh, great. Oh, I'm great. getting my first <laughs> enchanted item. But it actually brings this warrior to life. Mm -hmm. uh, and then halfway through, and it is a very, it's a very, very difficult boss fight. It, um, you know, I think if you're just starting out, it is one of the harder ones in the entire game. Um, and then, of course, he does have a transformation. The Puss of Man is that effect. When <laughs> is that what it's it, called? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're going to encounter that quite a bit. In Dark yeah, I, I, I've noticed, you know, it's funny because I must have played, I don't know, a good four hours yesterday. And I could not get to the next bonfire. The, the way that it works, and I'm, I'm sure your audience knows, but anybody who doesn't, basically your goal is to get from bonfire to bonfire. So when you respawn and get killed, you can appear right there. I think you can do some traveling, haven't gotten to that part yet. Um, and I remember you were talking um, with a couple of our friends that some people's strategies is just to go for the bonfires. But that we've decided is a fugazi way of doing it. You want to go ahead and meet everybody um, head on. And I must have done four hours trying to get past <laughs> some of these guys. And I haven't done it yet. So, um, yeah. Where are you currently in the game? What level are you at? What are you seeing? Uh, right now, I'm not quite sure exactly what level it is, but I got past the dragon and I figured out that he just let him flame everybody instead of fighting everybody. That was a good way to go. Then you go yeah. past that, you go inside. I had this big old knight that um, I could not beat. I must have gone against him 25 times. And then I was like, why don't I? Actually, it wasn't me. It was actually my girlfriend who was watching this because, interestingly enough, she started Dragon Age which mm -hmm. we've never played before. So she's doing Dragon Age and I'll watch her do that one. And then I play Dark Souls and she'll watch me do that one. And they are, yeah. they're similar themes, but completely different games. And she's like, why don't you let the dragon burn him? I was like, that is a good idea. So ran him down, finally got, got him fried, went back in there. And I am trying, there's these little signs on the ground. Like you read, I don't know what they're char marks or anything. And they're like, you know, beast ahead, use fire. Oh, from other, from other players, yeah. Uh, yes, from other players. Is that what that is? I didn't even know what that is. That's from other players. Some of them are from developers, and some of them are left by other players as sort of hints to each other. Um, uh, okay, well. I, it, I think they're called signs. I, I forget the exact uh, yeah, well, nomenclature. They've been very helpful. They've been very helpful. And there is this one, you know, he, he's got some worshipers, kind of these ghastly, ghoulish worshipers that have these really crazy um, um hissing um sounds that come out of them and they're worshiping this guy i'm like oh you know and, and here's one of the things that is different than all the other well not witcher but you have to focus on who you're attacking because if you don't do that you're just going to be swiping at the air so i yeah. focus on him and he wakes up and suddenly he is a monstrosity that i had no idea how to kill and i've just been kind of dashing past him right now so that's where i am and then actually as far as i've gotten is there's this behemoth kind of rotund muscular creature in armor with like this giant glaive and he's kind of like thumping around downstairs and he makes those other big knights look small yeah and i've crossed swords with him a couple times and got absolutely eviscerated and that's where i am i i think those are called the wing knights okay I'm not wing knights. Yeah. um yeah uh if you like that one Wait till you take on uh, six or seven of them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I was wondering, too, as I'm playing, is like, how do you get good enough to do this? Because I'm like on number 30. And, and here's the thing, though. It is so rewarding when you do it. When you get past, you, uh, you actually feel like a halo <laughs> materialized over your head in, in a beam of sunlight because um, I, it's well-earned. Th those are <laughs> tough. It is definitely no Skyrim.
Yeah, and, you know, to its credit, um, the difficulty sort of makes it unforgettable. Yes. Right? Yes, because for sure. Our minds sort of work through repetition. You do, you're going to have to play every level multiple times. And I can vividly, like, you know, have a total recall of the way through the castle, you know, uh, with all the details and everything. Because it, you, you're forced to do it so many times over. It's really... Um, I think that's the know. mark of a great game because it is vivid. And I actually was able to share that victory when I took out that, uh, what did you call him? The one where I take the sword out the very first boss. Uh, Gundir? Yes. When I, when I beat him, even um, my girlfriend, she was cheering for me. <laughs> like she yeah. did it. I can't believe it. So it is memorable. And I think that's the mark of an outstanding game because we were talking with a couple of our friends uh in our dungeons and dragons group and uh they you, you both knew exactly where i was like oh my god i wish i could go ahead yeah. and relive that again because it is um yeah, memorable is definitely a good way to put it memorable yeah um so let's uh talk a little bit about uh stats and class and your path forward because it, it does have those great traditional trappings of rpgs you know yes it most and, um, does. you know i'm curious to know your starting class i'm curious to know what stats you're pumping uh when you level up and what you sort of see the build of your character moving forward throughout the game right so i i know surprise surprise i think the first selection you can do is the knight and there are some various other ones but i I remember watching, I think you used to play the second or the first one, and I was like, I would love to, I just think it's fun to to parry, to block, to, to you mm -hmm. can switch from one-handed to two-handed. So I started off with the knight right now, um, and I, you know, I haven't, I haven't picked up a lot of, a lot of things. I know I have a new sword. I figured out how to use the, the, the throwing knives, which are cool, yeah. and what, one thing I, um, I'm glad is if you pick something up and then you die, you still have them. So that makes me happy. So I've been picking yes. up as many fire bombs as I can. And I, I know fire against that other guy. But I, I want to see how much, how many magical weapons and armor and shields that I can trick out and, uh, and see the difference. You know, it, it's, you have to, I took a good maybe 15 or 20 minutes to really dive into the equipment and the inventory because sometimes mm -hmm. you have muscle memory from other games like okay that muscle memory is not serving me right now to uh to dive yeah. in. but but um and so that that took a little bit of getting used to too but now that i am uh i'm <laughs> i feel like i'm getting a good mastery of it well yeah you know kind of and um i, I want to see i want to see where this path of the night um leads me so i'm curious about that that's where that's where i see myself going and what sort of stats do you envision uh, inflating here? Are you going to go for a strength build? Are you, you well, know? yeah, okay. So let's see. That's always tricky, too. And I love that when you are forced to allocate your points and what type of person, you know, what kind of warrior you want to be. So I think I think I want to maintain doing some strength, but I think it's definitely um, – I'm, I want to be more of that dexterous knight, you know, I want to be armored and, and, but moving around and, and twirling and somersaulting seems to be a, a very effective ploy against some of these guys yes. have like spears that go three times as much as you can. So being able to get under them and, and inside and going at it, I think I'm going to kind of, I'm going to specialize in dexterity, um, supplement it with a little bit of strength. And, and then, of course, you have to be able to run. So then probably my third would be the endurance. 
Yeah. But I am um, open to suggestions because I'm just going by, you know, what I've done in the past. So, you know, I'm sure, definitely sure. open to suggestions. Well, I, I think there's a couple things I wish I had known that I can lay out for you. Oh, um, lay I, out. I, I would say also, like, generally, you're going to play the game long enough that you can do it all almost. Like, you know, you can be a knight that has uh, sunlight magic. You can, you know, you can uh, cast projectiles. Like, you'll eventually get um, a stockpile of enough souls to inflate whatever stats you want and and this is a game that you will go through and play over and over again and that's awesome. part of the part of the joy is the new game plus and you know having all your weapons and stats maxed out and then going back to the very beginning it's oh you know, that must it's be a, fun it's a different <laughs> game when you can just kind of like walk right through wow i i'd love to do that i'd love to say hello to some of these guys again that's funny yeah. so so all right so that's a that's well, a so you said let me you let me get the tips though before i forget um so oh boy now i'm forgetting them <laughs> yeah i know i threw you off sunlight magic um okay so we were talking about stats i mean i i think i told you this before but i definitely utilize a bow i i usually in these games i tend to pick um kind of thief or uh you know lighter characters uh, I like using a bow. Uh, I find a bow to be pretty crucial to Dark Souls. You can get very cheap and cheesy with it, as I have done. But I do think that there is a functionality to bowmanship. Don't bother with crossbows. They're worthless. But being able to at least uh, trigger things from afar is pretty crucial to the experience. So if you don't have the uh, levels to use a bow properly, I definitely recommend that. That's going to be crucial. Um, the, the single thing that's probably going to serve you best in this particular build is that there are different, uh, roles and your rolling ability is determined by, uh, your weight and your stats. So there's a heavy role, there's a fast role, there's a medium role, and there might be a little gradation in between those. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but, um, you will find that, uh, you know, armor and costume are somewhat cosmetic. There are definitely stats and boosts that you get from them, but they're almost negligible. And you really want to be able to have as fast a roll as possible. And so you should balance your armor based on that. And, you know, it, it does take a little trial and error. You'll have to sort of... Uh, you know, strip down and see how fast your roll is and then slowly incrementally add pieces, um, you know, of coverage from there. But that's something that, um, you know, I, I find the wardrobe to be almost cosmetic and that's sort of how I play the game. Still there? Oh, boy. That oh, yeah. Now I can. Okay, all right, all right, Roger that. Um, so when you say roll, um, you're talking about the literal roll, right? Uh, like the somersault yes. tucking and all that. All right, so armor does slow you down? It does, absolutely, yeah. Okay, uh, I didn't know that. That's good to know. And I think, also, I think um, it, it's one of the other stats also has uh, some bearing on that. It might be dex or it might be strength or a combo of both. But largely, um, the armor is not going to save you from a bad hit. And it really only takes one to two hits to completely wipe out your character. So 
So I, noticed. Uh, I, I think you will benefit from stripping down and, and, and getting a feel for how it moves there. Okay. And then being very picky about what you add. I've had a couple builds where I'm not wearing any armor at all. Um, and I'm just sort of quickly able to attack, but I have high strength, so I can. And, and how do you how do you feel about magic then? Do you use magic as you're going through too? Um, yeah, magic. I you know like traditionally is a very easy point of entry for the Dark Souls games. Mm-hmm. Um, Dark Souls Two, I almost played the entire thing from a distance using projectile magic. And not really risking very much at all. Uh, right. I don't use it in Dark Souls 3 because I actually enjoy the combat in Dark Souls 3. Um, it's not a bad thing to have as a supplement. Okay. Uh, there's also, you know, different types of magic. There's sorcery, um, you know, pyromancy. Uh, <laughs> really? There the, is. The sort of sunlight or white magic I think is most useful but takes the highest stats okay. to be able to utilize i i i think the last time i played i had um kind of like a strength slash sunlight magic build so i could do healing to groups you know being able to play against bosses with other players is is also something you know we can talk about oh Um, i didn't know you could play with other players i did not know that yeah so uh summoning is is kind of important especially on your first playthrough Okay. And you'll see this, the signs written near the fog gates. Uh, a lot of them are NPCs that are just sort of computer controlled. But um, if you are online, and I believe in Dark Souls 3, you have to be embered. You can't be hollow, you know, okay. having died multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are embered, you can then... It changes a little bit from each of the games, so I'm probably saying some parts of this inaccurately, but we'll let people correct that um you can summon other players and the downside to that is it will boost the stats of the boss but then you're not by yourself and you're learning the techniques and you can even you know take a knee off to the side and watch real pros sort of go in there and mop the floor now summoning is level dependent in Mm. and i believe dark souls 3 so if you're level 30, you're not going to be able to summon a level 99 guy. It, it right. tries to match you up with relative levels. But a lot of people are playing New Game Plus or Plus Plus. So they may be at level 30, but be an actual right. you know, pro. So right. um, look into hollowing and using an ember. Uh, it'll, you know, I, I kind of get the rules mixed up between all the... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but i believe you have to you can't be hollowed which means you've died you know one or more times uh and then you should be able to summon uh people into some of these boss fights now how and, many levels um does it go up does it how many levels can you go is it just like standard up to 100 or or um what's the highest level you can get that's a really good question i want to say it's capped at 99 but i also i think maybe it's capped at one. 30? I, I, I don't quite remember. Right. And, and there are different caps on the different games. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Well, um, I'm, I'm definitely, so I was going to invest in a crossbow, but clearly that seems not the way to go. One of the interesting things that I've noticed, and I guess I'll ask you now that I have, is I'm, I was writing down questions like, 
Um, yeah. And some of the other games, you can go to like a shop and you can buy things and you can craft yeah. things. You can go to a smith or a forge or things like that. Or is there anything mm-hmm. like that in Dark Souls or are you just finding things as you go? No, there is absolutely. So it, it does take quite a portion of the game to build out your little town. Uh, right. I believe Firelink Shrine is the hub of Dark Souls 3. So. Okay. As you progress through the levels, you will meet these NPCs. They will go back to Firelink Shrine, and that's where your blacksmith will be set up. That's where your pyromancy teacher will be. That's where uh, okay, uh, Ray the merchant will be. And um, typically, all of these characters have a story arc. They're available at certain times of the game. They're not in other, and you can kind of follow. Uh, you know, you will learn about the ultimate fate of these characters as you collect items and explore other parts. That's awesome. Good. Even something more to look forward to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the purchasing and the upgrading of weapons and items will become pretty crucial, um, you know, to a lot of the later stuff that you have to do. And, and the currency, is it gold? Is it souls? Is it? Um, it is souls. Okay. I, well, it's souls to um, level up. I think it's souls also for purchasing. Oh, man, I really should have replayed this before I called you. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I know. Hey, it's just because I, I just started. As soon as I got it, I downloaded it, and I've been, you know, it's addicting, you know, and it's just like, oh. And, and it's, it is absolutely maddening when you get really close and you've done and you put down the big guys and then some sniveling, sneaking, lurking, whatever those things are, is hiding right behind and yeah. knocking you around and killing you. And you got to go back and do it all over again. So I'm just like, all right, I have to glean every single detail that I can because I will beat this game. It is it is uh, um, riveting and it is addictive that's for sure. Yeah, and I th- I think the you know the less you can sort of be researching it concurrently, like not watching walkthrough videos and stuff like that, the better it's going to be. And then sort of when you play it through the second time, you really want to uh, have a lot more information about separate trigger events and storylines because not not every ending to the game is the same. Right. There are divergent paths right. um, amongst the NPCs you meet and some of the uh, levels you'll go to and, and outcomes and things like that. So the decisions you make are going to make a difference in how the game progresses. Um, yeah, not, not in a way that's, but there are different endings, different fate characters based on, you know, uh, actions you take without right. sort of spoiling anything. Right on. Right. And I'm glad that you told me that because that's been the temptation. It's one of those things that I, I hate to do is to go to YouTube and do walkthroughs. I really want to figure out myself. Um, yeah. And this really tested my metal in not doing that. I still have refrained um, so far, so I'm going to keep refraining. I'm just going to I'm just going to gut it out and I'm going to figure it out on my own and maybe text you occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it is a tall order because. A lot of this, you know, this is not an over-explained game. You know, there is a lot of obtuseness to it that you, you know, there are things that you're going to miss. It's it's just, um, you know, it's part of the intentional design. So it, it is a sort of series that really works well with walkthrough videos. Okay. But it also, like, it's going to deflate a lot of the surprise and the organic discovery. 
And that's no fun. And I bet it'll be even more fun because I, I am looking forward to doing this again when I have when I know what I'm doing and I have, you know, a built out character and then doing it again. That's going to be fun. Oh, another tip I just remembered. Um, By the way. And this is something I still struggle with to this day. You really, really have to perfect uh, shield parrying. Okay. And it's a little less uh, necessary on Dark Souls 3. Mm-hmm. Sorry, um, but um, there are certain enemies that really uh, are weak to that effect if you time it right. It is it's it's truly a it's an act that contemplates microseconds. Right. But when you learn the timing for a good shield parry, um, that is the the consistent way to bring down certain really tough enemies. I didn't know that. That's good because there's a difference between blocking and parrying. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't been using parrying at all. It's like, ah, I just need to block this. Um, but that's good to know. All right. So I'll start yeah, working on the timing. It, it's not the same for everybody. But typically, when an enemy's strike is at its highest point, because most of them have kind of overhead uh, strikes with swords and things like that, right. that's the moment you want to hit the parry button and it should stun them. And you'll hear there'll be an audio clue that it's happened. Right. Uh, and then you can follow that up with an R2 attack. Right. Uh, for a, th that's essentially your D20. That's a critical hit that oh, okay. most likely kill most people with one strike. If you get a successful parry, you hear the noise and then you are two. That's going to be, you know, that's rolling a D20. Okay. All right, that's good to know, because that's one of them that I haven't mastered at all yet. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to block. I haven't been pairing that much at all. So, uh, noted. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's going to be a, uh, a handy tip for you. Right. Um, I also, you know, uh, probably some people listening are thinking, why start at Dark Souls 3? Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it is, um, it's sort of the perfect, for me, it's the perfect form of the Soulsborne universe now i started with dark souls 2 which is uh pretty much hated universally by dark souls players really um, dark souls 1 was a big hit when it came out i i wasn't sort of cognizant of it as a title when it first appeared right uh, dark souls 2 was on sale so i bought it i'd mm -hmm. heard a lot of people talk about the series and uh, i think this was right in the ramp up to dark souls 3 being released Mm -hmm. And I really like Dark Souls 2, but it, it, it had a very troubled production. They sort of switched creators halfway through. Uh. It feels unfinished. Um, but I really like it. And, you know, me and Daniel were, you know, making recommendations to you. And, and it seemed like starting at 3, which is the nice, most polished version, um, is kind of the best entry point. And then you can go back and play the other less perfect games as a sort of, you know, curiosity. Yeah. And that's actually what I was planning to do because it is, um, as a game, the mechanics, it is, I mean, for everything, just even from watching, uh, the character walk and the way that they dodge, it is, uh, it is just fun to play. And when you time it and when you get it down and you hit that timing and it, and it seems to me that that's crucial, it just feels great. You know, it feels like you, like, you know what you're doing and, uh, it, it is fun to get in there. And once you, once, especially after the 17th time you go in there, you know exactly what you're doing. Game mechanics are awesome. I love it. It's, it's more, 
as realistic as a video game can be as compared to say Skyrim. Um, you know, there's just a lot more that you can do and uh, it just feels good. It is a very polished, like you said, very smooth, polished game. And the, the music, the sound, uh, the soundtrack that they chose yeah. for it and the, uh, the peripheral sounds, you know, you're, I'm up three stories and I can hear that behemoth downstairs mm -hmm. shuffling around. And it's like, <laughs> you know, and it's two o'clock in the morning. I got my, my noise canceling headphones yeah. on. And I'm like, Oh my God, do I really want to go and fight them right now? <laughs> and then you're like, of course I do. And you go down there and you know, <laughs> you're so, you're so stunned by him that, you know, you, you get one or two slashes on him and then, you know, you're, you're, you're splattered. Yeah. You know, audio is, it's a big part of this and, uh, I'm, I'm playing Resident Evil eight right now. And same thing there. It's like, uh, you know, there are cues that can save your life if you're paying attention. And, and, uh, Dark Souls is pretty good about that as well, especially like shambling and footsteps. And, yes. you know, you, you could be attacked at any moment by any angle, including from above. Yes. And, uh, you know, it definitely pays to sort of being be paying attention to those audio cues. For sure. I mean, even going down a ladder, you think you have a moment of respite, and then you turn around <laughs> and there's somebody with a flaming crossbow taking pot shots at you. You know, and and you only had uh, you know a sliver of energy left, and you're like, ah, visual, uh, audi audible cues. Yes, very important. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think what else. Well, you know, we already we told you that really the lore of this game plays out in item descriptions and things you encounter and find. Um, I don't know that there is a sort of complete comprehensive lore. I, you know, I think they've smartly left it to uh, largely like YouTuber viewers to kind of stitch together um, the larger story. But that to me was always uh, quite an appeal and actually something that I adopted into the storytelling for Knights of the Slice in that you know, oh. the items in my store have a little blurb of a description about the character that may reference, you know, X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, so it, you know, it, it sort of, uh, it asks a lot from you, but it, it is really rewarding if you like being meticulous and, and, you know, uh, doing I, the work. Absolutely. I, I find it. Um, and it, it's a, a, a it's a difference for me because as as a, a writer, you um, kind of tend to drift towards video games with a, a narrative and uh, um, a story. And it is really an interesting and I wouldn't have thought that it was um, as good as it is, but it almost it makes you invest in the game a little bit more and it leaves more to your imagination and to your to, to cultivate this uh, narrative of what you're trying to figure out what's going on is like, well, you know, where did these come from? What, what ember hollowed? These are all terms that I am unfamiliar with, but the designers do such a good job that it is almost like self-explanatory. It's like, okay, so I have this, I have that. And you start piecing it together and it, it makes you invest even more into the game. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know this. And so, and it's funny too, because when you die, you find yourself staring at the screen because you have that momentary before the next game goes, they're going to say something about some item or some tactic or some strategy that you can employ. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm almost reading the screen as hungrily as when I'm playing just to get those cues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also want to tip you off about something that I discovered by accident on my first playthrough. 
and became a very consequential thing. And this, uh, I probably should let you discover this for yourself, but there's also a very good chance you will never discover it because it's not um, that in your face. But By all means. Uh, after you beat Gundare, you walk up this graveyard to this building. That's Firelink Shrine. That's right. that's your sort of hub. Mm-hmm. Over to the left-hand side of Firelink Shrine. I don't okay. know if you go over there, but there is a hollowed-out uh, swordmaster. He just looks like kind of a zombie with a yes. katana-style sword. I don't know if you've encountered that. I think I did. I Maybe I, I met a smith. Maybe it was a smith I met, but... um. All right, so... Um, so outside of the shrine, mm-hmm. left-hand side, uh, you will encounter this swordsman. Okay. If you can beat him, which is not an easy task in your state, right. uh, you will be gifted his weapon, which I used for the majority of my playthrough uh, the first time I did it. Um, oh, there is also uh, easy cheats to beating him. And there mm-hmm. is almost to every single enemy, right. you know, they can be, I, I think in a lot of respects, finding the angle uh, to avoid direct combat is a legitimate strategy. And okay. it, it, for a lot of the bosses, too, you need to know their weaknesses and know the tricks um, to kind of overpower them. So there is a cheap, there is a cheap way to beat that guy and get the sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't require direct contact. But I would uh, beckon you go investigate that. Work back yeah. to uh, shrine. Go back, so I can go to a bonfire and travel back there, right? You should be able to at this point. Yeah. Okay. I, right. I believe that the the sword you got from Gundir is the uh, item that allows that to happen because you stick yeah. it into the. Yep. Yeah, I did do that. Yeah. So that's good. So that's something to look forward to. That is awesome because I like my sword, but you know I'm eager to get something else, and I picked up. You know, every once in a while, you pick up the most random things. You know, you might pick a firebomb. Then there's like, and, and part of that lore part you were talking about, there's these shards. I can't remember the mm-hmm. prefix on it. Uh, it starts with a T, I think. Sometimes uh, you pick up. Yes, yes. So I have no idea what that does yet, but I'm keeping as much as I can. Sometimes you'll pick up a trouser, and I picked up a broadsword. Um, I haven't actually gone over it, but I'm going to um, I'm gonna do a little journey back, see if I can't get that sword, because that sounds, that it'll be be fun yeah you know uh, i do i have one character from one playthrough that i got a sword i never got again and it's this uh, it's it's just this long slab of a long sword something like out of uh, berserk the anime okay. um and i've never found that sword again and you know i've tried to replicate uh the random drop of it um uh, oh, okay again. So, you know there are kind of like very special, one of a kind moments in uh, in the gameplay. Something yet more to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, boy, I'm trying to think what else. I don't know if if you have any other questions or curiosities. You know, it's definitely the time. Yes. Okay. So I will. I do have one because obviously you played and you're an expert, and I well, had to. And I know this isn't even the toughest guy, but the first time you see one of the big knights. Now yeah. I've gone against one with a spear and a shield, and I I, yeah. I did well against him. You know, I was able to take him down. It took me only like six or seven times, and I took him down. But the ones with the sword and the shield. I must have seriously, no exaggeration, 20, 25 times yeah. trying to take this guy down. Can't do it until um, uh, my girlfriend said, why don't you let the dragon take care of him? And I did. I said, but I'm not going to always have a dragon right. you know, that I can lead him to. So what, what's, uh, 
What's the secret to taking that guy down? I mean, generally, direct combat is not going to do you well for any character that's larger than you. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, the principles of, of the fighting are based on Germanic longsword. You know, it's, it's all sort of rooted in real technique. Right. Um, so, you know, feigning and getting them to strike is pretty crucial. Okay, good. Those are really tough motherfuckers, especially <laughs> when you're at a lower level. Um, yeah. at, you know, anytime you can kind of pivot and get a back stab, it's, right. that's going to be most effective against almost every single um, character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does require sort of getting in close, making sure that they, they strike and they miss and, you know, and then kind of looping around. Right. And I've noticed that certain combinations when you're attacking do certain things, you know, like uh, I might hit uh, right button uh, twice and he swings three times. You know, I'm still yeah. trying to figure out exactly when to use the and if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, actually, I have you. So I'm going to ask right button is kind of like, is that the power attack or is it um, right trigger? That's the power attack. Like when I he believe- kind of like drives forward, you know, and impale. Uh- Top right should be your strong attack, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. Um, All right. And, so uh, yeah. I did have a question, too. So I, the only missile weapons that I have, really, are the throwing knives. Um, right. I picked up a crossbow, and it disappeared. I don't know exactly where it went. But you said crossbows are useless. Yeah, yeah. Crossbows are pretty useless. Throwing knives are really for coaxing um, enemies to come to you part okay. you know a, a big strategy that you'll have to have if you don't already is drawing out certain enemies because they they can cluster together and as you've probably realized you get more than two enemies on you at the same time you're in a lot of trouble so throwing knives right. are really used to coax a single enemy ah, to come into your area of combat item. got it you know they do not um they don't have a a ton if any damage uh however a little later on you're going to get poison knives which is a lot of fun Uh and there are a couple bosses or bigger characters that are susceptible to poison and those poison throwing knives really make short work of uh of them I, i think also the damage stacks on them which can end a fight pretty quickly that is good. That is good. So uh, there was two things that, as you were speaking, kind of popped in my head. So I'm going to go with, actually, I'm debating whether or not I should ask. Because if I'm go not going it. to be using a crossbow, am I going right. to be using a regular bow, longbow, shortbow? What, what, am I going to find it or do I have to buy it? Um, you're probably going to pick up a bow before too long as a drop. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you can buy one uh, from the blacksmith. Um there are a couple like specialty bows you'll find later in the game that are really fantastic, but this may be stats you have to boost that are not right, right. But I was um, going with dexterity already, so yeah. maybe maybe that'll be that's probably what we need for bows, right? It's dexterity. Yeah, dex, and I uh, there's one other there's another stat that comes into play, and I all the different categories are all blended together amongst all the games that I've played. So. <laughs> right, um, gotcha. Yeah, just getting a base. Making sure you're stocked with arrows. Um, that's going to be, you know, that's another sort of crucial piece to this. I don't think there's any, like, uh, sometimes in games you have to, like, shoot things and manipulate puzzles and things like that from afar. I, I can't really recall if there's anything like that. But for drawing enemies, 
Uh, you're going to encounter enemies that are hanging on ceilings that, oh. you know, you may not be able to reach with a knife. So ah, okay. with a bow could be very useful. There's a couple instances where you can just circumvent combat altogether by knocking someone over with a bow shot. So okay. Okay. it's a very useful tool. Um, and I would say, you know, make sure uh, your stats are in order to use that earlier mm-hmm. uh, in the game instead of waiting to. Uh, okay. All right, good. I'll I'll definitely keep that in mind. I'll I'll definitely keep that in mind because it does it does seem that um having a bow or missiles um would would definitely come in handy. So there's we've talked about the things that um we love about the game, um which vastly outweigh the uh the little peccadillos that I have found. But I just thought of one peccadillo that I that I'm still trying to overcome, and sure. it's when you find. A, I don't know what they are. They look like kind of like zombie skeleton type of, um, you know, the initial minions in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they're in repose. And when yeah. they're in repose, you can't target them. So you'll go over there thinking that, you know, I can't target him, but I'm facing forward. So surely my sword thrust is going to go where I aim it. And every right. once in a while, it goes to the right or left. And then these guys are quick. They have a knife. You've been hit three times before you can even recover. So yeah. I think I think of uh, all the, the combat mechanics that have been annoying, not being able to just say, I want that guy right there and focus right. on him um, can require... Um, a little bit more finesse and how to to not die when you're <laughs> killing them. I think that was the one thing that I found slightly annoying is like I should be able to look at that guy and um, be able to take him down without having to fire away, you know, two o'clock yeah. instead of twelve. So I, I you may know this or you may not, but you can lock on by depressing. I think the right uh, joystick. Right. I don't know if you've experimented with that at all. You can do that to sort of switch your lock on amongst enemies. I, I do think that there are some that, yeah, if they're not engaging, you can't necessarily right. lock on to them. Right, um, until they engage. Maybe they'll start throwing knives at those guys. That'll wait. Yeah, you know, knives and arrows, drawing drawing them to you is a really crucial strategy for, you know, many, many different levels in engagement. You really want to minimize the amounts of times that there's more than one enemy engaging. Yes. Yes, so, I've noticed yeah, that. Definitely throwing knives and, and arrows, they're going to help you manage that. All right. All right. Good Good to know. And I guess I do, you know what, since you brought it up, I do have one other um, sure. question. So there was, I don't know what you called him, but he is, he is, or it is this, it looks like somebody who's being worshipped and then he grows into like this dark angel of death. I don't know what he is. He's on top of the roof. He's yes. right around where I am. But yes. I have locked horns with him a couple of times. Haven't even gotten close to being able to take him down. I, I know one right. of the signs said use fire on him, but I didn't have any fire bombs. I had like three. It was not enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ran past him and I went down and I've been dealing with that. Does that have any uh, ramifications or repercussions during the game if you just run past somebody and not engage them just besides shame? No, and that's the Josh Garris strategy, as we (laughs) talked about earlier. He just runs from one bonfire to the next. Okay. Um, That guy is the pus of man also. That's the The same sort of infection that Gundyr has. Yeah. And yeah, firebombs make short work of him. Also, really good character to pick off with arrows. Okay. Um, right. And you do get fire arrows at a certain point, and you can okay. buy those. So um, okay. another thing to uh, keep in mind. But 
Uh, that's uh, the 45 minute mark. So I think that's a good place to stick a sword in it. After <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Uh, and I'll let you get back to the game. Uh, I'm happy to hear you picked it up. And um, hopefully people will check out your book and your books, series of books. Right on. And then you can uh, you can come back as you get uh, a little further. Maybe when you get to the swamps, which we've been warning you about. Yes, you uh, have. Do you like swamps? <laughs> yeah, that might be a good right. time to check right, back in. That, then. that sounds we'll, good. Let's do that. When I get to the swamps, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little status update to uh, tell you where I'm at. Okay, excellent. All right, I will uh, let you get back to that wonderful world and uh, keep me posted. Right on. It's been fun. It's been fun. All right, man. All right. Talk soon. Talk soon. Peace.